Hello and welcome to Cannon and Cockerell. My name's Michael and I'm a Spurs fan. And I'm Jason and I'm an Arsenal fan. And uh, we should be watching Tottenham versus Fulham right now, but it's been postponed as probably the whole of the Premier League will be in a few weeks' time. Uh, but we do have some football to talk about over the past week or so. Um, Arsenal, they did lose to Manchester City in the Carabao Cup, but now have won two Premier League games in a row. Uh, meanwhile, Tottenham's well, we won against Stoke in the Carabao Cup, but our Premier League form is still uh, stuttering. Um, Jason, are Arsenal back now? Is this it? Is Arteta the man? Is all the, the troubles over? Or are you still a little bit worried? You know, it's very funny. I've just literally, as you've been speaking, finished a cup of tea. And usually I don't put sugar in my tea or sweetener. But there was a little bit of honey I put for a change. And the sweet taste. It's almost reminiscent of the sweet taste I feel right now about football. Um it really is fantastic. It really is a good feeling. Um, I've forgotten what it felt like to win a game of football and and to cheer. You know, there was a point where I just wasn't smiling in a football game and I was I was fist pumping and screaming, even when we nearly missed a chance yesterday. It was like, whoa, where did that come from? It's like a different team. It's actually like a different team. And I, I can't sit here and say that everything I said last time is rubbish. I still believe a lot of it. I don't know if Arteta is the man to take us forward. Um, and when I say forward, I mean from last season. I think you can't really look at the last 12 games as the benchmark. Um, but at the same time, you know, credit to him for saying, you know what, I am going to make the change. You know, he could have still put in some, some, some has-been players who have been there, done that, and not quite performed. But he whether enforced or whether fake news, whatever it is, a lot of people are uh, second-guessing whether Willian and David Luiz are injured, or whether the, the rumours about some uh, toxicity in the, in, the, in the club have been true and they've been uh, removed from the squad for disciplinary reasons. It doesn't really matter at the end of the day because for two games now, we've seen what the difference is. And I'm not going to say it's Pablo Mari, but it's certainly not David Luiz. Um, but I think I might be able to say that Emil Smith-Rowe has just symbolised what Mikel Arteta should have done from August, September rather, and what you know this club should be doing now. And that's, if you do not perform at a high level, it is a meritocracy, like Arteta said, and you're out. And you can come back in, you, you know, someone like Willian, you can get a chance, be on the bench, you come in for 20 minutes, if you score a few, if you get an assist, if you show a bit of life, good. But otherwise, you know, we, we give players chances. And that's, it's very much, I'm, I'm going all over the place a bit, but it's because I mean, it's I'm excited because I, I think I wrote to you after the Chelsea game, it felt a bit reminiscent of 06, 07 Arsenal, where we, we'd sold all the boys after Champions League final, the old boys, we had this kind of young team, we'd moved to the Emirates. And it was like, Wenger just put them out, knowing they're not going to win us the league, but they're going to develop and you know that's when someone like Adi Bayor came through and Walcott was signed and and Kleb never forget Kleb um Flamini was in and about it, it was just Rizikski it was Fabregas it was all really really exciting and I kind of feel that already straight away you know Martinelli coming back he runs he actually runs and presses and although he hasn't scored yet he looks like fire he looks like he wants it even when he got an injury he kept on playing um Saka on fire again. I mean, he's been our bright spark throughout the game. And it's not a coincidence that once Aubameyang was was out from the injury, slash dropped, you know, we started firing again. There was more mobility. There was more hunger. It was something different. And I don't know why it took so long, but it kind of feels like, you know, remember I kept saying, you know, that Brighton game, if, uh, if he loses that after losing Chelsea, he's out. And it was almost like the club said, Mikel, you don't win that Chelsea game, you're out. And he thought, I've got to do something different. And and how it happened, I don't know. But that's got to be the blueprint now. You have young, dynamic players. Shaka and Elmeni shouldn't be there still. But when you're playing all those young players, I suppose you need that balancing act. But once party's back, bring in Maitland-Niles, you've got a dynamic duo. And maybe even Isco, I mean, we'll talk about transfers, uh, someone creative like Isco in, in midfield for, for a few months. And... And it could be something really at the start of something really exciting. And I, I don't want to get ahead of myself because I think I did when Arteta won the FA Cup and you even said, oh, 
you know, you, do you think he's peaked too early? I said, no, you're just the spud, so shush. Um, but I do think that the last two performances, regardless of how bad the other teams were, we haven't seen it before. So it's an upward trajectory, six points. I would have been happy with two points previously. And now we've got to go and win to West Brom away, who are off form, win at home to Palace, get through their FA Cup third round against Newcastle and sign a player or two and we we're we're back i mean i could see us finishing top half um but i think we just need to be in that stable position and get to the summer and then think right all of the contract rebels out arteta are you the man yes or no um and then take from there so it's it's all very good and it's 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 made sweeter for two reasons number one spurs aren't top uh top of the league by the end of the game week and uh son and dyer aren't playing so my fbl team has dallas come in which is which is even more joy. <laughs> I suppose the only uh, kind of bad thing for Arsenal recently was that that City Carabao Cup game, and particularly the performance of your second choice goalkeeper. And I suppose if the worst was to happen again and Leno was to be injured, you won't have Martinez to step in this time round. And does that give you concern maybe between now and the rest of the season? Do you think the, the strength and depth is there, particularly if some of the players who were playing the Williams, et cetera, uh, don't kind of step up off the bench and, and don't compete for places. Are you worried that then maybe some of these younger players might get overplayed and, and when they get injured, you might end up kind of back where you started in a way? Yeah, that's what I've been thinking. I mean, with the keeper, I think he'll play Matt Macy. I think he brought him back into the squad after that City mistake. Um, so I think I think runner runnerson might be done already. <laughs> Um, it was very embarrassing and I think there's just nothing I can analyse in that City game it was just they were the better team their second squad is better than our first team and when we put out a rested team you know what's going to happen um, and I don't think a league obviously it'd be nice to win the League Cup but I don't think that is what Arsenal need like that isn't going to be a game changer in our overall status it's a, it's a Tim Pot Cup and you know Spurs are welcome to it um, in terms of the young players yeah my worry is Everyone's pinning their hopes on Martinelli and Smith Rowe. If we don't want to do a Wilshire and just injure them, you know, by overplaying them. So the problem becomes, okay, you rest Martinelli and you put in Lacazette and Aubameyang and it becomes the same old drivel. How do we find a balance? And I think Arteta probably hasn't utilised substitutes as well as he could. I mean, I think, I don't know why we don't see more half-time substitutions. You know, if you give Aubameyang and Lacazette half and half, you know, maybe Nelson and Saka half and half. Just just keep freshening it up. At least you give them a chance to to rest, but you also give them the chance to play and not overload. Um, but that's why we need new signings and we need to get more of these young boys competing. You know, someone like Balogun now must be thinking, oh, this is my chance. And if I have to face Eddie Nketiah, that's better. At least we'll have two options and whoever you'd hope whoever plays would do the job for us. Um so I think it's about bringing through as many youth as possible now, even if they're not as good. You know, there's a quote by the Grove. He keeps saying something about having, you know, having 70% of a of a non-complete player, or sorry, 100% from a, a player who's at 70% quality, like a young player, rather than 60% of a player who's at 100% quality is better because you're getting that effort, you're getting that energy. Um, we don't need special moments right now. We need we need consistency and we need performances. Um, but that's why the, the transfer market is probably relatively important now for us because the club have gone out on a whim and said, we need a creative player. Um, and they can't go and do what they've been doing with the Williams and Ceballos. You know, they need to have a bit of a profile of a player, either someone who's ready to fire straight away, and you could have argued that was Willian, or someone who's going to come in and, and grow like the Martinelli, Sackers and Emil Smith-Rose. Um but yeah, you know, it's a real risk with burnout across the league, especially with COVID. And it doesn't sound like there's going to be a break at the moment, um, regardless of, of the rising cases, unless it's forced by the government. And that means there's going to be more overload because you are rel- you're relying. This now, this team now seems to rely on these differential players, I suppose. Um, Tierney can't play every game, but you put Kolasinac in, we might as well resign the game. Um you know, thank God Mari's fit because we need someone when Gabrielle's out. Uh, you know, it, it's there is a worry that it's it's a precarious situation. But I think everyone's in the same boat. 
and we'll we'll deal with it. I'm hoping that regardless of what happens now, we've just turned the tide, the style's there. And if we don't make too many changes, if, if for example, he says, you know what, I'm going to rest Saka, I'm going to put in Willian, that one player won't be the massive difference. But I think if you take three of them out, then it, then it will really naturally slow things down. It sort of reminds me a bit of when Pochettino in his first season, and I think I said this to you when we were messaging before, when he kind of brought in Harry Kane and Ryan Mason and Nabil Bentaleb, and even though some of those players had had played before under Tim Sherwood, Harry Kane, for example, had done. But but when Pochettino came in, Harry Kane was only really playing in the Europa League. And it was because of his Europa League form and because of how badly the likes of Soldado were doing in the league that eventually... Pochettino had no choice but to kind of trust the youngsters. And he said in his, um, he said many times that he thought he was about to be sacked by Tottenham. Uh, and we were losing away at Aston Villa, who at that stage were near the bottom of the table, hadn't scored for months or whatever. And it was a kind of last minute deflected Harry Kane free kick that won us the game. And it was a last minute Ryan Mason goal in the, um, the Carabao, well, it wasn't called the Carabao Cup there. I think it was the Capital One Cup then. Um, but the, what, the, meant we beat Nottingham Forest. And it kind of seems like Arteta's come to a similar moment now where he's perhaps fearing for his job and has rolled the dice on the young players and they're the ones who stepped up for him. And similarly to how Pochettino kind of exiled the likes of Adebayor and Kabul and Lennon to to bring through this new generation in a way, it seems like Arteta's doing the same thing. And even if there's maybe a bit of inconsistency as a fan, I think certainly what I felt at the time was uh, it kind of brought my connection back to the club. I felt proud again of, of the players and and like they were kind of representative of the fans there wasn't that kind of disillusionment that there was before and it seems like a, a similar thing might be happening now with you and the, and the likes of Smith Rowe and Saka and, and Martinelli it's kind of a, a new hope for a new year at Arsenal yeah no very much so I can I can resonate with that for sure and uh it, it there does seem to be a little bit of uh positive capital back in Arteta's camp but it's it's that question is it was it really because there was a, a COVID scandal? I mean, was he forced? If, if there wasn't anything to do with COVID, would he have kept playing them and got himself sacked? So was it luck? Or he's trying to claim, you know what, it's not about the senior players. These young players deserved it. And I personally don't buy that. You know, Emil Smith-Rowe, very good. But I hadn't seen the thing before that made me think he's the answer. Um, he's, I don't believe he's the answer straight away. You know, he's, he's part of the answer. Um, but that that's where that's where the questions come in. You know, Arteta's he can't afford to go on another bad run now. We lose to West Brom, draw to Palace, and, and a couple more. He might, it might, it'll be he'll be back in in that seat. And you just wonder whether. I mean, I've heard people say, you know, what maybe someone's need, head needs to roll, and Arteta could try and block signings in January so they could get Edu sacked for not delivering and and make some change there. Um, I don't think we can just let it let it slide now and just say, you know what, like, that's it. You know, we're back and we'll, we'll have an average season and start again next year. Got to use these sort of things for, for catalysts for change. Um, and, and I just don't know what's going to be. I, I'd rather do it in a point of strength. You know, you'd rather. I'm trying to think. You might know. Clubs, I think, maybe Leicester, like when they sacked. Ranieri, they knew they were in a position of strength being in the Champions League and, and they sacked their manager to capitalise and, and grow as a club. And it's, it's decisions like that. I'm trying to think. I'm sure there was a club where some, a manager did really, really well and then they just sacked him. I think I feel like it was one of the relegation teams or something and it paid off. I well, I mean, now. Southampton, when they sacked, what was it, Nigel Atkins to bring in Pochettino? Mm. He was, you know, he brought them up. They, they would doing fine in the Premier League. You know, they, they weren't like having a sort of West Brom or Sheffield United season yeah. at, right now. They were doing pretty well. And I remember there being kind of outrage in a way when they sacked him to bring in this foreign manager who no one had ever heard of. But then you look at what Pochettino did with Southampton and where they are now, and it definitely paid off in the long run. Yeah, it was it was one of the, um, the promoted clubs it happened to. And everyone was like, why? You've just got them promoted. Oh, I can't remember who. But yeah, it's it's that kind of sentiment. And that's that's I think what you want to do as a club. You want to roll the dice in a calculated way when you're on the front foot. And it's like anything in life. I just don't want us to slip up against West Brom. And that that's the thing in this league. They can lose at home five nil to Leeds, as well as Le- uh, Liverpool can lose seven two to Villa. 
but then they can go beat Palace 7-0. And so it's it's completely up in arms. One result doesn't mean anything at the moment. Um, so I'm just kind of slightly praying, but I'm going to enjoy the moment while I can because it makes me realise again how much the game is all about winning because that's when the joy comes. And I'm glad I support a club that has won more often than not, maybe not as much in recent history, but in my supporting history. Um, I guess just kind of flip the sentiment now to Spurs. I mean, we need to talk about that Wolves game because I, I didn't watch the whole game. I was kind of flitting in, in and out. And at the end, I, I thought I'd watch the final few minutes. And I mean, it's pretty Spursy, isn't it? Yeah, which pains me to hear and admit. But when you consider the fact that that's now nine points that we've dropped in the last 10 minutes of matches this season, which is more than any other club. And most of those kind of last 10 minute goals have come as a result of set pieces. It does suggest that that frailty remains this kind of new winning mentality and defensive solidity that we thought Mourinho had given us doesn't seem to be as sturdy as we once thought. And it's interesting that Wolves game because last time we spoke, I said how I thought the reason why we'd slipped up a bit against Palace, Liverpool and Leicester was because Mourinho hadn't freshened things up enough. He was still using, by and large, the same players and formation and setup in those games that he'd used in City, Chelsea and Arsenal. And while they worked then, it was starting to get a bit stale. So actually going into the Wolves game, when I saw he'd made quite a few changes, there seemed to be a whole new setup with three at the back and Reguilón and Doherty as, as wing backs. He'd brought in Winks and Sanchez because they'd played well in the cup game against Stoke, kind of proving that he does, you know, reward players who play well and take their chances. And we started that game, you know, we scored within the opening minute uh, and we looked like we were going for it. And I thought, great, this is exactly what we needed. We needed to bring in some fresh blood, change things up a bit and be more attacking and, and go for it and try and kill teams off. But then I don't think we had a shot on target then after the 21st minute and we completely retreated. And afterwards, Mourinho said that that wasn't the intention and, you know, tell the players what I know, ask the players what I told them at halftime, because that isn't what I told them. And it's like, well, you can say that, but then either that means they misunderstood you or they ignored you. Either way, it, it doesn't reflect well on you. And and because it's become a recurring pattern now of us sitting back on one goal leads, like we did against Palace, like we did against Newcastle, in a way, kind of trying to sit back on the one, one, like we did against Liverpool. And each time we've been caught out and some people go, well, look at, you know, from open play, we've only conceded three goals or something with the fewest in the league. It's only individual errors from set pieces late on that are undoing us. But that is a product of your overall play. And I think the question is, would we be conceding these goals from set pieces late on had we not retreated so much and played so defensively? Because I was, I was saying before with the um, when I was kind of trying to think of why individual errors had crept back in against Palace and Leicester. And I kind of thought that it, it's very mentally draining to play in the way that we did against City, Chelsea and Arsenal, where you're defending for so much of the game and having to stay organized and stay in shape. Even if it doesn't look like you're moving around as much as you might be when you've got a lot of the ball and you're attacking it, you know, the, the concentration levels that you have to maintain for the 90 minutes can take it out of you. And when you're conceding so many goals late on in, in similar circumstances, the only explanation can be lapses of concentration that have come about because the players are kind of more mentally rather than physically exhausted from the way we've been playing. And, you know, it, it does go back to Mourinho because either it is the way he wants them to play and it doesn't work in every game, you know, against the likes of City, Chelsea and Arsenal, it's the right strategy to get the right result. But against Palace and Wolves, sitting back on one goal and just hoping to hit them on the counter isn't the right result. And you need to go and kill the game off. And even if he says that's what he wanted them to do, the fact that they're not doing it, is either because he's got them so well drilled into playing a certain way that they then can't switch between other things. Or, I don't know, It just I feel like the Wolves game was kind of the first instance of Mourinho starting to not necessarily lose the fans, because when you take a step back, you know, draw away at Wolves isn't a bad result. It's the result that I thought we'd get going in. And we're still in a very, you know, the Fulham game hasn't happened tonight. But if we'd won tonight, we would have been 
third in the league going into the new year with a cup semi-final coming up, which if you'd said, you know, you're going to 2021 in the top four and with a chance to get into a cup final, that's this season going tremendously well, arguably above what the preseason expectations were for most people. But when you draw in that manner and it follows such a familiar, frustrating pattern, and when you know that you have the attacking ability to score more goals and to play better than that, then it it does start to annoy people. And I kind of took Mourinho at his word when after the Palace game, he said it wasn't the intention to sit back. But clearly there's something going on that, that makes the players continue to do that. And it's something that he's going to have to sort out. And we are going to have, because you can only get away with playing that way if you win. You just said before, you know, it's all about winning. And if you win, you feel great, regardless of how you've done it. But if you play that way and you don't win, it's even worse because you feel like you haven't even had a go at it. And when we've got the players that we do, it, it's just, yeah, it's a little more frustrating. And, you know, you, you watch, for instance, that second half performance against Wolves, which was, I think, one of our worst halves of the season. And it just seems like a completely different team from the one that scored six goals at Old Trafford or five goals at Southampton. So, you know, we've got the attacking quality there, but I don't know whether it's just playing so many games in quick succession where the remit was to counterattack and sit deep has meant that the players now kind of naturally fall back into that because they had some success with it against big teams in the league and they think they can do it against everyone when clearly you can't do it against everyone because that isn't always the right way to go. And if it is under Mourinho's instruction, then he needs to tell them to do something different. And if it's not, then he needs to find a way to tell them to do something different because you were saying before about Arteta not making halftime substitutions. I mean, Mourinho is very trigger happy with substitutions, but the fact of the matter is, I think the reason why people didn't believe him, myself included after the Wolves game is because, okay, he took off Reguillon for Bergwijn, which is taking off a defensive player for a more attacking player. But Reguillon was basically playing as a left winger anyway. And then he takes off Undombele, who scored the goal and was our only player kind of creating stuff up front for Sissoko, who's more of a defensive player. And then Lamella for Son, which is kind of like for like, but Lamella is a bit more defensive. So he and, you know, it's not like he was stood on the, the touchline kind of screaming and shouting for the players to push up. He seemed quite happy with them to sit back. So definitely kind of questions being asked now about Mourinho's approach and whether he is able or willing to mix things up and go more attacking. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I think he's going to have to, because otherwise, you know, this nine points we've dropped, we'd be three points clear at the top of the table. And that's what's so frustrating is, you know, you asked last time, when will we be considered title contenders? You know, all these games, Palace should have won that easily. Wolves should have won that. Liverpool came so close to drawing it. You know, OK, we were unlucky, hit the post. Newcastle, we should never have dropped points there. West Ham, 3-0 up. The last 10 minutes in all of those games... And that's the difference between being six points behind first or being three points clear at the top and being in the top four or not. So, yeah, a lot of frustration. But as I said, when you take a step back, there's still a lot to look for. You know, if we beat Brentford, we're in a cup final. You know, we start the year by getting into a cup final, which is very exciting. We, It's shown how quickly things change. United now all of a sudden second. Everton back up in the title race when they'd been on a bad run before. We've got a much kinder run of fixtures now if they happen. Um, so I'm, I'm sure we can and will turn it around. But definitely it's been a quite frustrating note upon which to end the year, considering how well we were doing. Yeah, um, the, the, the Jose thing interests me because you said kind of, you know, not that he's lost the fans yet, but he's starting to show signs. And I didn't watch or read everything about that post-match interview but there was kind of that slight aggressive sentiment that you seem to see at clubs when he starts to to lose everyone a bit it starts to really blame the players out them and he's done that a few times with Spurs I've seen and then also today even even when he he was complaining about you know the Premier League not making the decision on on the Fulham game the kind of oh best league in the world very sarcastic it does seem that that kind of shift is taking and it it's happening quite early. And I, I guess that's, you said, you know, if you can get into that final past Brentford and, you know, you very easily got through Stoke the other day. And um, I just wonder how much of it, your season again, is pinning on on this League Cup. Because I hear it from a lot of Spurs fans, the, the, the joy they're going to get out of that. But do you think you're really going to, as Spurs, get the respect you 
probably will deserve if you manage to win that trophy because I don't know the sentiment from a, from an outsider's point of view is like meh okay let them have it. Um, I mean I've always thought that the whole trophies thing when Pochettino was in charge was always a bit of a kind of a hollow argument because I always thought well look if if Pochettino was winning. Carabao Cups left, right and centre, but wasn't finishing in the top four, the narrative instead would be, oh, well, it's all well and good winning trophies, but what players really care about is Champions League. They want to be competing at the highest level. Pochettino had us competing for titles in the Champions League, but because he hadn't won uh, a Carabao Cup, he wasn't considered a winner, which I, I never really understood. And it, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if if the outside narrative then changed. If we did finally start winning silverware, if they started to say, oh, yeah, well, you know, you can win that, you can win a trophy, but you know, you need to be competing for titles, you need to be in the top four. So to an extent, I don't really care what people on the outside say, because there'll always be a narrative cooked up to try and discredit what you do until you win the very biggest trophies. You know, even when Arsenal were winning FA Cups in the late Wenger years, they were in, in a sense discredited because of everything else that was going on around the club. So I think you just need to kind of if we win a, a trophy, I'll take joy out of it no matter what, because I've only seen us win one trophy in my time supporting the club. So whatever people on the outside say, I don't really care. And I think for the reasons I said before, winning a trophy would be quite important for the the club and this team and for Mourinho. And I think really for, for Mourinho it is make or break, because that's what he's been brought in to do is win trophies. And as I said, the only... The only reason you bring in you bring him in and tolerate his style of football and tolerate potentially the kind of outbursts that you were saying is if he brings success. And I think if he doesn't win that Carabao Cup, for example, I mean, look, Brentford, I think will be a tough game there. Last time I checked, I don't know if they've lost since then, but last time I checked, there were 15 games unbeaten in the championship. They came very close to getting promoted last season. They're a very well-run club who could easily spring an upset. And then even if we get past them, Man U or Man City in the final won't be easy. I know we've beaten both of them in the league this season, but in a way that makes it harder because they'll be out for revenge as well as the chance to win a trophy. And we know how much City have made that trophy kind of their their trophy over the years. I think they're going for like a fourth successive League Cup. So it won't be easy, but I think if he loses it and the league form continues to be a bit inconsistent, it will put a lot of pressure on him and it will make fans start to wonder whether or not the negative football and the kind of temper tantrums and all of the baggage that comes with Mourinho, whether or not it's worth persevering with if it's not going to bring success. I mean, I think he'll be given to the end of the season because obviously even if we don't win that, there's still the Europa League where we've got a pretty kind draw in the last 32. There's still the FA Cup, of course. Um, and there's still a long way to go in the league and a lot could still change. But I think it could one way or the other set the tone for his time at the club. And I think certainly the, it does seem from what I'm hearing and reading online from fellow fans that a lot of stock is being placed in that league cup. And if he wins that, I think he buys himself some time. If he loses it, then I think people will start to question how much all of this is worth it, particularly you know, if we see Pochettino at PSG playing sparkling football and doing well in the Champions League, it could maybe only add to the sense of, you know, whether or not Mourinho's style really suits the club. But then you have other fans saying, well, look, everyone talks about, you know, the Tottenham way and playing exciting, attractive football. But the fact of the matter is that hasn't been very successful over the past few decades. You know, we used to be a cup team that were kind of glamorous and would win things, but we haven't been that for a long time. So, surely we should be kind of giving ourselves over to Mourinho and, and doing what he says to to get that success that we've gone so long without. So I think, yeah, if we win a cup, I'll be happy regardless of what people say. But I think it's it definitely does seem, it was already important for the season to win a trophy for obvious reasons. But given the recent results, it definitely seems to have taken on an extra level of importance now. Yeah, it feels like, I mean, yeah, you have to say haters, haters be haters. I mean, that's that seems to be the attitude from that side. Um, interestingly, I've just actually got a message from um, a friend in sports with, with some stats from Sky Sports. And they said, it says Tottenham are 19th in terms of expected goals 
um, in, in league games since the November international break. So it's kind of an interesting one I wanted to bring up is, and, you know, I mentioned it before about, you know, what is the answer to those, those woes to make Spurs, to take Spurs back into that zone of being the expansive, exciting team that, that kind of Pochettino cultivated. And, and I guess I have to turn to in two days time when uh, the horrible year 2020 becomes 2021 and, and, and the gong of Big Ben, Big Ben, if that even exists anymore, um, becomes the gong opening the, the transfer window and whether you see Spurs' um, light at the end of the tunnel there because I keep seeing a lot of links to attacking creative players and I think, haven't Spurs got enough? It's like you're stockpiling them, but if if if, if there's this Jose Mourinho style of football and, and they're saying your expected goals are low and you're not scoring as much, maybe that is what you need. I mean, I, I wondered your thoughts as a Spurs fan on how you'd like to approach the window because um, even though a vaccine's on the way and, and underway and uh, there's a bit more hope in the world, do you think they're going to see some deals or is it going to be, you know, what we have, we hold? I don't think, I, I'm not holding out hope for anything to happen in January, but that's the second half against Wolves was so bad that it did for the first time make me actually want us to bring back Christian Eriksen, which isn't something I thought I'd say, you know, when all these rumours about him being put on the track, well, not rumours, I think Inter Milan have basically said he is for sale. But when he was linked with a return to us, I thought, never going to happen. He wouldn't want it. We wouldn't want it. I don't want it. Passes the pass. But when you see how much we struggled to create and when you consider how good he was for us, you start to think, well, you know, why not? What, you know, particularly if we are going to lose Delhi potentially to Poch and PSG, why not bring back Christian Eriksen to get a bit more creativity into the team? Um, But I don't think necessarily the problem is, like you said, the lack of creative midfield players. I think it's more the overall style of play. And I think Kane and Son with XG were both radically outperforming what would have been expected of them with with expected goals because they were so clinical on the counter-attack. And I think we said before, there's only so long you can kind of get away with that. And it does seem like teams now have kind of figured out how to stop that from happening on the counter-attack. So I think it's more a case of rather than going out and, and signing players like Ericsson, it's more getting more out of the players we've already got. But, you know, Bale's injured all the time. Is Delhi in Mourinho's plans or not? Is Bergvine kind of at the level of Kane or Son yet? Lamella's in and out of the team. Celso seems to be injured all the time. Undambele is kind of stepping up and suggesting that maybe he can chip in with a few goals and assists. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if the right player becomes available, obviously you'd bring him in, particularly if you are going to have players out injured or you are going to get rid of someone like Delhi. But in a way, I, I, you know, I want to see Delhi brought back into the team now. I, I don't think he played that badly against Stoke. I don't think he deserved to be to be criticised to the extent that he was by Mourinho after that. I think we need him now. And if, and if we're not going to use him, then yeah, maybe we do need to go and sign someone. But I think it's probably more the system rather than personnel. But I mean, good personnel doesn't do any harm either. I mean, I look at Bruno Fernandes every time he plays for Man United and God, how good it would have been if we had actually signed him. I mean, the fact that we came so close, if we had Bruno Fernandes now, I think we would be winning the title. I mean, if you had him in that team with Son and Kane, I think that would have solved a lot of our problems. And yeah, you know, I agree with you. as much as I like with Celso and Undombele, I think I'd swap them for, for Bruno Fernandes in a heartbeat. Yeah, he is a fantastic, fantastic player. And I mean, I, I have a I have a stake in him from fantasy football. But other than that, I mean, he just always contributes. It is unbelievable how, and it's not like the team is built completely around him. They have so much talent elsewhere. Um, it's the same with Liverpool and Salah. You know, the big teams who win things have big, big players and talisman. And, and Harry Kane was your talisman. Son sort of took over. And now it seems like they're kind of sharing the baton which may be diluting them both slightly. Um, that, that, that's the thing. I mean, I, I look at Spurs and I think a bit about Harry Kane. I think, well, yeah, it's very nice he's been contributing, but he's a striker, no? Like, isn't that where he's at his best? And, you know, almost I think you'd be better off having him as that, that focal point again alongside Son. It feels like something's got lost along the way. But listen, it's been getting results until now. And, yeah, you can't... How much can you complain if... Um, if you are, you know, near third in the league with a game in hand and, uh, and you know, in the cup semi, you know, and, and in the Europa League 
knockout stages, how, how much more could you want? Yeah, and I think because we did do so much in the summer, I mean, I know we've kind of questioned how good a lot of that summer business actually was in retrospect, but because we were so busy, I, I don't see us doing much in January unless we do make a sale. I mean, if if we do sell Delhi, then maybe we do bring in another attacking midfield player who maybe gives us a different dimension. But I think what you said about Kane as well is spot on because when he was dropping deep and playing those balls through to Son to start with and it was working, it was great. But when it's not working, you're, you are thinking, well, what's Kane doing all the way back there? Why is he the one who's having to create the chances as well as put them away? You know, we could really, we kind of joked about, oh, Kane's our best striker, our best creative midfield player, our best centre-back. You know, you want a team of Harry Kane's. But when you see him that deep, and he's not getting the passes away, you kind of think, well, you, you need a, an actual midfield player to be doing that job and, and keeping Kane and Son up there because if we're struggling to create and score goals and, and keep the ball in your position half, having one of your best strikers dropping even further back into your own half to try and make things happen is only adding to the problem in a way. So I think, yeah, definitely we need to find, it's up to Mourinho to find a new solution, whether that's with the players he's already got or whether it is through something happening in the window. But I think chances are, it will be through the players we've already got rather than transfers. But I wonder, throwing it back to you and Arsenal, you were saying there's obviously there's been a lot of rumours about what happened in January. Do you think the emergence of the youngsters might, in a way, stop you from doing the business you might have done otherwise? Uh, I think they've made a very big song and dance about this creative midfielder, and we all know it fell through in the summer with our, and so I think something's going to happen. Um, I think there might be a lot more exits, and you know, we have a lot of players on six-month contracts um, I think there'll be a lot of announcements of pre-contracts and that will just confirm that they shouldn't be near the first team. So Mustafi, Kalasnach, uh, um, Ozil, of course. Um, trying to think who else is in that bracket. God, there are so many. David Luiz. Um, I think Shaka might even get a move, hopefully, um, regardless of his performance the other day. Um, I think, unfortunately, we're stuck with the people like um, Willian for now I wonder if because we didn't have a transfer fee on him we might be able to do a cut price deal and just get his wages off our bill um, but I don't know um, Aubameyang will stay, I mean he has to but I don't know I mean I mean, there's, there's two things if I was going through the squad and saying it's a summer window let's get rid of half for them and you know Leno would go for me, Bellerin would go for me um, you know, one midfielder to go for me, like El Nene and Shaka would go. Um, I was being ruthless at Bamiyang would go, but it's not going to happen. So we need to look at it one by one and say the keeper's not changing this year. Maybe we'll sign a backup keeper, but I don't think I, I think it would be embarrassing for the club to give up on Runnison that quickly, um, especially his age and the fact that hopefully we don't need um, to rely on him at all. If Bellerin goes to Barcelona, there's a space. I mean, I've heard Tarek Lamptey linked with us, which would be exactly what we need in terms of young English. That's his position. Could come in, hit the ground running. Um, more likely than not, he'll just shove easy mate and Niles in there to keep him happy. Um, at centre-back, Gabriel for me is first choice. Holding seems to have secured a place, but you know, there's, a, there's room for Mari and Chambers and one day, maybe Saliba, but not quite sure if he'll go out on loan. Left-back, Tierney sorted it. Saka can fill in if needed. And then, I guess, going with a 4-2-3-1. Party, when he comes back, please let's hope he, he stays fit, because that will be enough, I think. And if the right-back stays, maybe Ainsley Maitland-Niles, but it sounds more like they would go for a creative boy there. So there's links with Isco, which is... I don't know much about him. I've always known he's a, you know, he's a good creative player. He's played for Madrid, so he must be decent. Is it a bit like a Willian type thing? I'm not sure. You know, he's he needs a new con. He's I think he's leaving in six months anyway, so he needs a new team. Um, he's better than Sabios from Madrid, but would we loan two of their midfielders in the same season? I'm not so sure. Sabios has been a massive letdown again. Um, but it does feel like it could be like a Coutinho type thing where. They've got a little bit of life left in them, and um, and we'd see. And then that front line, Pepe, God, I forgot about him. He's so bad. I mean, he got to go, but we can't get rid of him. So it, I think he might go on loan maybe. And then 
Yeah, I think, like I said before, the front line, you've just got to blood the youngsters now to push the, the uh, top players to get a bit better. So you need Balogun to come in because otherwise he's leaving in the summer without a contract um, and push Aubameyang to be better or just pushing out the squad and team entirely. Um, same as Eddie and Ketia, it's now or never. So I'm not expecting too much. I'd say a creative player and maybe a replacement if a first team player leaves. Um, and when I say first team, I mean like a Bellerin, someone who's not out of favour. Um, but yeah, I think I think just the state of the market, it probably makes more sense to get rid of more, st- uh, let the youth have their chance, and then the summer, as long as they're not relegated, just clear the decks. You've got a summer of, you know, apart from the Euros, I don't think it'll be a too much of a problem because I think our team by that stage will be so bad <laughs> they won't be even picked for their squads and they can just have a pre-season, a proper rest, hopefully, and and start again. That's that's my hope, whether it's Mikel in charge or not. Um, yeah, that's kind of kind of my views on the transfer window. Um, so I'm relatively positive, and and I, I hope you don't mind if I if I take over a little bit now with a little bit of a of, of using the word positive because I thought, um, how would you like to play a little game about something positive? I, I'd love to play a game. Right. So so I'm trying to you know. I'm integrating some of my psychological learnings in, into this podcast because, you know, we know football is also about the mind in addition to the into the body. Um, and there's an area I've actually been learning about called positive psychology. And it's kind of all in the word, you know, the area of psychology where we look at the positive aspects of, of living. So uh, being a human, so happiness and flourishing. So going beyond just having, you know, you can you can stop people having bad mental health or improve that but it goes beyond that you know making the best of ourselves being motivated um, excited happy fulfilled fulfilled um and there, there's a concept called psychap um and that's kind of about you know cultivating and helping us to to really um improve ourselves in, in a few areas and they're they're actually um they're they're actually you can use um probably is an anagram you'd say not really an anagram the phrase hero, so which sta- stands for hope, efficacy, resilience, and optimism, things that we all want our football clubs to have. Um, there's an exercise I'm going to adapt here, and I, I wanted to, I- I'll do it first just to give you an example, not throw you in the deep end, but it's a few, it's a few questions you ask to cultivate a couple of these. So I'm, I'm only going to do a couple of them. Um, so if I was after Nicola Arteta, for example, and I wanted to build my resilience, which I would call in this case my ability to bounce back from adversity, and my efficacy, so people's belief in my ability to achieve the task. So you'd start by this. You'd say, where do you feel stuck or in a bind in your life? So as if I was the Arsenal manager, I would say, Aubameyang not free scoring. And so then I'd look at it and say, what are the things I can directly control? What are these actions I can take to help the situation? Um, so I'm Mikel Arteta. I mean, you can help me out here. What would you do if you've, you've got Aubameyang not not scoring. I mean, I could say put him on the bench, rest him, do some extra training, bring in some competition. Any other suggestions, maybe? What could you do to to get Aubameyang scoring, or if he's not scoring? Uh, give him better better service. Better service, yeah, absolutely. That's a good one, actually. I didn't even think of that. Um, and then you start writing down specific people in your life who could help you in the situation. So. I mean, I was thinking about this. You could have Martinelli, Lacazette, Balogun, start them all over him, bring them in. That creates, like you said, bring in someone like we have Emil Smith-Rowe to, to give a bit of energy behind him or a new signing. So there's this interesting one. It says, think of a person in your wider network who you don't really know who could help you in a situation. And, and you can start to see now this is kind of focused on on workplace uh, well-being. But I think when you look at it this, you know, it, 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 when we look at it as, as a football manager, you could say, or a fan, you could say, well, what's something a bit different? Yes, the obvious is playing the youth. The obvious is making a big new signing. But what could we do? And my suggestion was a loan signing from the lower leagues. Could you go and bring someone like Tony in from Brentford? Go and do something a little bit exciting, a bit different. Could that be something? And then you'd finalise this with thinking about small action that you could help yourself in the situation. So Aubameyang's not free scoring. And I thought my kind of little solution action point was, why don't we put him on the bench for a bit, bring in some of those boys, and then bring him on, the, him, him on in the second half of each game and see if that fires him up. I don't know if you think that sounds like 
something potentially that could work. Yeah, I mean, certainly bringing someone like him off the bench is probably a more, even if he's not been in great form, just through his reputation alone, is probably a more intimidating substitution for opposition defenders to face late on when they're tiring rather than bringing on maybe a youngster who they've not heard of. Psychologically, I can imagine seeing someone like Aubameyang come on late on when maybe you're starting to feel it in your legs would have more of an impact potentially than starting him from the beginning. And I think that's where it really comes in, you know, your resilience, you know, when you're up against adversity and your main striker's not scoring, what can you do instead of just the same old shove them on for 90 minutes, see what happens. And, you know, that self-efficacy as a team, you know, how much do we believe we can achieve, you know, a goal scoring at Bamiyang? Well, we, we've got to make a change and we've, and we've got to, we've got to, you know, believe in the way that he can make a change. I wondered if, if, if I was trying to flip it to you and I'll, I'll talk you through it, whether you wanted to try it, putting yourself in, in Jose's uh, shoes. Yeah, so I suppose, so we, we, what was it optimism, the last one? So it's resilience and efficacy were the two. This exercise only covers these ones. Right. There are others okay. that cover hope and hope and uh, optimism. Hope, right. um, but I think as football fans, we have a lot of that um, some of the time, especially as a first fan. <laughs> you know, I'm sure you have optimism. So, in terms of where do you feel stuck? If you were a Spurs manager now, where what's what's the problem right now? What's the main gist of what is not happening? I say the main problem right now is not scoring enough goals. I yeah. think Mourinho said that himself against Wolves about 89 minutes score a second goal and we didn't and that's what cost us the game so I think that's the the main thing how do we score more goals yeah and what do you think Jose could control now what actions could he take to help him with that situation maybe place less of an emphasis on you know I don't know necessarily what they do on the training ground but place less of an emphasis on the defense you know he's done a lot of work defensively clearly and they've improved apart from set pieces compared to where we were at the start of the season in terms of goals conceded from open play, maybe he needs to do more work with the attacking players and encourage the the team as a whole to be a bit more adventurous when they're on the ball and push kind of higher up the pitch. Yeah. Yeah. And who do you think you could help, who could help you in that situation? So a player or maybe a coach or, or something needs to change there. I think, I mean, I mentioned it earlier, but I think Deli Ali potentially could help someone who, He's clearly been trying to do some, I mean, we saw it with the All or Nothing documentary. He's clearly tried certain motivational techniques on Delhi to try and get the best out of him. He's been out in the squad for a while now. We obviously publicly criticised him after the Stoke game. Maybe he's too far gone and he's leaving in January. And so this is kind of all for nothing. But if he is still invested, giving him that run in the team, giving opposition defenders something else to think about, having another attacking midfielder in there who can kind of link uh, the midfield to the attack and, and mean that strikers like Harry Kane don't have to drop as deep. And then I guess if, if it doesn't work out with Deli Ali, what in a wider network scheme, and I guess that seems like a, a, um, a transfer window or looking into your youth, you know, who else could help you in that situation? Do you think not scoring more goals, but who could, who could rise from the dead essentially other than Ali? Uh, well, obviously there's other players, in the squad as well, you look at players like Bale potentially who's injured, him coming back. But I suppose in the transfer window, you could look at you could look at other targets. Whether you do bring back someone like an Ericsson, whether you try and break the bank, as it were, and bring in kind of a, a bigger name signing. I don't think that's necessarily going to happen, but that's always, I suppose, a, a possibility. I don't see who we could sign realistically in January who would solve that problem. Um, but I think potentially that's the case, or maybe it's you know Mourinho thinking back to players who he used to coach or manage, and and kind of picking their brains a bit, and and seeing what worked for them back in the day, and seeing what he can apply to the here and now. Excellent. And, and last but not least, I guess you're Jose Mourinho. You're sitting there now in your evening. Um, you know, instead of playing uh, Fulham, you're sitting there moodily in front of a screen, thinking, why have they not announced Spurs as champions yet? Um, <laughs> What small action would you do now, thinking about all that? What would be the one thing, you know, little change just to, you know, get those boys ticking over? Um, I'd I'd actually probably embrace the enforced break. I think they've played a lot of football recently. They're going to be playing a lot of football. And maybe if it is a bit of mental as well as physical fatigue that I was talking about earlier, maybe just giving them that time to kind of unwind 
and maybe give them a little bit extra time off that they wouldn't have ordinarily have, you know, rather than thinking, right, we didn't have a match. Let's have a big intense training session tomorrow to make up for it. Think, okay, do you know what? I'm still going to give them the kind of recovery and time off that I would have done had we had a game and just give them that little bit of extra time. And maybe then they'll come back and they'll be a bit more energized, a bit more receptive to new ideas. And, and maybe they can rediscover some of the shooting boots that we seem to have lost. Well, thank you very much for indulging me on that. And I hope uh, it's given Mikel and Jose, my friends, um, a few tips. I'm also available for consulting um, if if they'd like to use 10% of Kane or Willian's wages on me. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that, that, was, that was really interesting. And I think, I think it seems like, in a way, as we always seem to see, Arsenal and Tottenham always seem to have kind of similar problems in a way. And um, not that I'd want to help you out, but I can certainly, as a fan, empathise with you uh, without when you're not free scoring because it's, it's very, very frustrating. You know, you'd almost rather lose 4-3 than 1-0. It's just, it's just frustrating when there's nothing there um, that makes you think that you, that you can get over the line and, and win games comprehensively. And I, I, I miss the days of the, I mean, you might not, but the classic top four days. My friend showed me one of those sticker books on, on um, we were WhatsApping the other day, like 0607 or 0506. And it was like, oh, you know, the days where it was, you know, you just go to Middlesbrough at the Emirates and you knew you were winning 5-0. It was easy peasy, but but maybe that's not what football should be about. So, um, yeah, but it'll, it'll be interesting. And I guess linked to everything, you know, New Year's is coming up. Have you got any personal New Year's resolutions, I guess, related to Spurs to keep it, keep it clean? Yeah. <laughs> um... I mean, I just hope that at some point next year we can be back in the stadium again. It'd be nice to actually see the team play in the flesh, particularly Gareth Bale before he, you know, if he does play, but before he goes back to Madrid, depending on how long he stays with us. And obviously the kind of New Year's resolution for Spurs as a whole is to to finally win a trophy in 2021. It wouldn't surprise me if we finally win a trophy, but finish outside of the top four or something like that. Um, but I think, yeah, going to 2021, we want to see more exciting attacking football we want to see a trophy. I think those are the two main things from the Spurs fans' perspective. How about for you and Arsenal? Yeah, I mean, I, I, we, we've kind of spoken this about a little bit, but I, I think I've slightly changed my tune. I think I just want to see a fresh Arsenal. And that almost means everyone who was there at the club when Arsene Wenger was there needs to go. And although at other clubs, you know, you see the you know, Vardy and Schmeichel and all that jazz, they're all still there from the Ranieri days. You know, we were a failing team in those latter Wenger years. And we just need, you know, the Mustafis, the Shakers, the Lacazettes, the, the ones who have just not been at a level that we want to be. It's time for the youth. And we've shown that in the past couple of games that it's, uh, it's time. It's, it's, it's time for the future. And as Wenger used to say, I believe. And, uh, and I, I do believe. Well, uh, happy new year to all of our listeners and we'll look forward to seeing what 2021 has in store. Bye for now.